Well, I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. My name's Ashley. My husband and I are the pastors of this downtown community, and it's my honor and privilege to share the word this morning with you. I'm going to be speaking to you from John 4 on the power of a story. But before I get there, I want to share a couple things with you, okay? Have you seen our Black History Month gallery? Yay! This is our last week. So if you have not been over there yet, not looked through that, not read some of the quotes and understood what we're celebrating, I really want you to take time to do that. You know, black history in America is actually American history. Okay? It's not like a separate history. It's American history. And so because of that, what we want to do is spend some time acknowledging the legends in the black community who are there, who are here now. Some of them are very present day. And so we want you to check that out and make sure that that's something we do all year long, not just a month that we celebrate, but it is a time for us specifically this month to take time out and do that. So grab a friend and go through them all, okay? You know, this um, last week I went to a wedding in Los Angeles. It was a 24-hour trip. I left at 5.30 in the morning. Bless the lamb. That meant a 3 a.m. leave my house. Hi! And then left L.A. the next morning at around 11. But it ended up that I was in a hotel room in a neighborhood that I served for 15 years. And my hotel room happened to be right across the street from the church that I spent 15 years in. And as I sat in that hotel room, I started going through the faithfulness of God in my life. I was so overwhelmed. You know your body remembers things? There's books about this. Where it, whether it's trauma or it's very significant moments in your life, your body remembers. So sometimes you can step into a place and you're like, I have no idea why I'm so anxious. Thanksgiving dinner maybe? Anyone? <laughs> Or you can step into a place and be like, God, what you did here. There's so many times in the Old Testament where they would build a little monument just to remember God, to remember his faithfulness, to remember what he had done. And I felt so strongly the Lord doing that in my life while I was on this trip. And I began to recount the stories because stories are so powerful. Stories are life-changing. You know, you can throw somebody with doctrine. You can sit them down and say all kinds of great scriptures from the Bible, and they will leave that conversation going, great. But you tell them a story. And it's a way to connect, and it's a way to reach into another human and understand their experience. To offer to another person your own experience in a way that is connective and loving and real and generous and kind. I thought about the time that my husband had been dizzy had been going through a lot of bad, bad headaches. We went to the doctor, and the doctor discovered a lesion on his skull. We happened to be having a prayer meeting that week at this place called the Bonnie Bray House in Los Angeles. The Bonnie Bray House is the place that started the Azusa Street Revival. It was the home of William Seymour and his wife. The, the, the Azusa Street Revival can be tracked back to millions upon millions upon millions of people who came to know Christ. He was a black man in a poor community, in the early 1900s, and God used him to start a global revival. And the prayer meeting we were hosting was there in that house. And I told my husband, do not come home with that lesion on your skull. Don't come back without that thing gone. We just had a baby. I need you alive. Go. He goes to the prayer meeting. They begin to pray for him, lay hands on him. Went to the doctor the next week. Gone. I thought about the community that we served. You know, Skid Row in Los Angeles is one of the biggest places in our nation for homelessness. They estimate that more than 10,000 people within a two-mile radius are homeless. And some of that is including general relief housing, transitional housing, and people who are also on the streets. And our team arrived to serve in the house and there's an emergency section downstairs for the men and an emergency section downstairs for the women. That's just people that they can't house yet. And so we went in, 
and a man fell over and died. Our team started to pray. He came alive. He came alive. And when the EMTs got there, they put him on a stretcher and took him to the hospital alive. And I started to think about how that was the center of my recovery journey. I came to Christ at that time, addicted to drugs, addicted to the abuse of alcohol, addicted with an eating disorder, struggling in dysfunctional relationships, struggling to find my place in the world, struggling to heal from my past. And the Lord started to do a work. Was it overnight? No. How many of you who are believers in this room, because you might be new to the faith and all this is sounding a little bit weird to you, but if you've been a believer for a little while, you think sometimes that you're signing up for like an overhaul program. Like I'm just gonna arrive at this place and all my problems will go away. All of my issues will be healed. All of my relationships will be functioning at all times with no tension and conflict. This is what I signed up for. Rude awakening. That's another religion. Because Christianity is one full of suffering, and Christianity is full of one in the of pain, and Christianity is full of one where we have to overcome hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. Because Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble, but never fear because I have overcome the world. And I started to think about that 15-year recovery journey. I'm at 16 now, free from drugs, alcohol, and eating disorders. And I started to think about the work of God. I started to think about the suffering I had to choose in order to obey him. If you want to be changed, you will have to suffer. You just got to sign up. And you know what? My mentor from afar, Mama Joyce Meyer, always says, it's going to hurt either way. If you stay in your mess, it's going to hurt like hell. And if you get out of your mess, it's going to hurt like hell. So why not let it hurt like hell for your good? Be willing to suffer, to be changed, to grow. And then I started thinking about our time in New York, and I started thinking about us here at downtown. I started thinking about the miracles that we've seen, people's legs growing out, people healed from diseases that the doctor said they could not be healed from, people healed from infertility holding babies in their arms, couples that thought their relationship was over who are working it out, people who have started the recovery journey, and it's hard, but they're on it. People who are beginning to heal from their past. People who have received green cards. People who are having their work sponsor their immigration status so they can become citizens of the U.S. It's a miracle. Yeah. God has done a work here. And I started to think to myself, God, do more. Yeah. Through us here at downtown, God, what do you want to do? What doors do you want to open, God? How do you want us to serve our city? What difference do you want us to make? God, will you show us as individuals and corporately as a body what you're doing in the city? What is your movement, God? And let us jump in. And so I am praying and I am believing that the Lord would do a work through us here at downtown. That Sunday church is not our only experience. That we don't come to church just so we can show up and check it off our list. Because I don't have time for that. Anyone else? I don't want to do nothing on my to-do list that I don't have to do. <laughs> Goodbye. I want to see God move. Are you with me? And I believe the Lord is going to do that. Last night I woke up around 3 a.m. and I had a vision and a dream. And again, if you're new to Christianity, we're really on one this morning. So welcome to the family. It's crazy here. <laughs> but I pictured the stage and from the stage, which I believe is just representative of who we are, our, our, our way of influence in the world, nothing to do with the platform or who's on it, but our, our sense of influence where we are. And I started to see clouds billowing out, just clouds billowing out. And I thought about the glory of the Lord, the weight of the Lord. And then I thought about that passage of scripture in Amos. This says, let justice roll on like a river 
and let righteousness flow like a never-ending stream. And I thought to myself about justice and righteousness, and Lord, would you let us walk in your holiness in such a way that the world around us would be impacted? God, would you help us to choose obedience so that people can look at our life and go, there's something different about you, and I want to know. I want to know what it is. And God, would you help us corporately as a community, not just be a church that shows up on Sundays, but make a difference in our city. God, show us the way. And so I'm going to pray as we get into the word this morning that God would move in our hearts corporately and that God would move in your heart as an individual. So Jesus, we're here before you, God, surrendered. Lord, we are asking for your way. God, we are asking you to help us, to give us courage and grace to face the things we need to face, God, to overcome the things we need to overcome. God, that we could be salt and light on this earth so that people would know the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I pray for those who are faint of heart this morning, God. They are weary. And God, I pray that they would trust in your grace. God, that you would lift their eyes toward heaven, that there is something bigger than their circumstances, that there is something bigger than the pain that they're facing. There's something bigger, Lord, than the relationships that they're a part of now. God, you are doing a new thing. And Father, we receive it, and we ask for your help, and we ask for your grace, God. And I thank you that your grace is sufficient for us, that your power is made perfect in our weakness. And so, Lord, this morning we look to you. Have your way, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, we are part of the story of the living God. And John 4 is such an important passage of Scripture to me personally. And if you've been in church longer than, I don't know, two years, you've heard it, the story, a good 798,000 times. <laughs> so I'm asking you to journey again with me if you know the story. I believe it still speaks. I believe there's something we can still learn. And if you're brand new to the faith or you're trying to figure out, hey, do I want to make liberty home? Or, hey, do I want to do this Jesus thing? I pray that the story would speak to you this morning. So in John 4, it's the story about the Samaritan woman at the well. And she's coming in the middle of day to get some water. You don't come in the middle of the day to get water in a desert. Why? Because it's hot. But she was coming because nobody else would be there. And Jesus was weary from his journey, and he stopped in a little village by Sychar, which was near the Samaritan village, and he sat down, and she came to get her water. And he said, give me a drink. Huh? She's like, I have never seen a Jewish man speak to me. What are you out here doing? And he said, if you only knew the person that you're speaking to and the gift that God has for you, I would give you living water that would never run dry. And then there's this beautiful moment where his disciples come up and he's like, ooh, ooh, what is Jesus doing with this girl? Which I'll get to in a minute. So we've got three key players in the scripture. We have the Samaritan woman, we have Jesus, and we have his disciples. And I believe from each of those key players in this text, we can learn something about how to live in this world, how to operate in this world, how to understand who God is in our life, in our daily life, because we do good as we're going. That's what we've been talking about the last several weeks on discipleship is that we do good where we are. We serve God as we go. We don't have to add more things to our plate. Ain't nobody got time for that either. Anyone? You got to do good where you are. Influence where God has given you influence. So let's start here in John 4. We're going to read verse 1 through 15. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. 
He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was all alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Somehow I think she's not talking about the well. I think she understood this was a different kind of encounter. And there's some stuff deep on the inside of us that we don't give many people access to. I think she knew something was going on. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. So what can we learn here from Jesus, from his example, from his way? Because he says he is the way, the truth, and the life. So when we see him, we know how to respond to our life, to our world, to the people that we come across. Here's the first thing. Meet people where they are. You know, there's a time and place for heaven to connect. There are angels on assignment all around your life who are saying, hey, can you just get there? I know you're tired. Could you look up? There's one sitting right there if you just look up. I know you're exhausted and weary. But I placed you there. There's a time for heaven and earth to intersect. And he met her where she was. You notice he didn't try to fix her. He didn't try to give her advice. He didn't tell her what she should do or scold her for where she was. He just met her where she was. And you know what? In his humanity, he understood her weariness. He related to her where she was. The next thing is to respect what people know. He spoke to her like a human being, like a peer. He didn't look down on her like was common in the culture for Jews to look down on Samaritans. He didn't do that. He spoke to her. He was kind to her. He did what no one else would do. He was willing to have a dialogue. He did not ask her to turn her brain off. Can I get a hallelujah? Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep going in the scripture. We'll get to the next thing. John 4, 16 through 30. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For if you have, you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now, you certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on this mountain where our ancestors worshiped? And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming. Well, it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And just then the disciples came back. And they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? 
And so the people came streaming from the village to see him. So the next thing we can learn from Jesus is to tell people the truth. Tell them the truth. Tell them the truth about captivity. It could have just been like, yeah, that's tough. And I don't know if you've sat in a church before where they taught this message as though this, this woman was a, a, a negative woman who had five husbands and she was doing all these different things. Women didn't actually have the power to divorce anyone in that time. So this was not actually her own doing. She had been abandoned and rejected over and over and over and over and over and over again. And he knew that. So he said, I see you. I see where you are. I see that you feel rejected. I see you showing up here to get water at noon. Let me tell you something. I got a gift, a river of living water. And when you have it on the inside of you, you will never thirst again. That thing that you're looking for to fill that void, that thing that you're looking for to cover up that abandonment and rejection, I have living water that you will never thirst again. He told her the truth about captivity. And then he told her the truth about religion. I love what he said. He said, you Samaritans know nothing about the God that you worship. And the Jews know everything about the God they worship. But there is a time coming, and it is here now, that true worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. So what is he saying? He's saying, your people don't know much about me scripturally. My people know everything about me, but they don't know me in spirit and in truth. They don't actually know how I operate. They don't actually love me and worship me. They know doctrine for days, but they are not living in the Holy Spirit of God that would transform them and the life they lead. So he's saying there is a time now and I'm not, he doesn't want us to have a random connection to the Holy Spirit where everything is a sign. Every little thing is something we might be able to worship. Every little thing is pointing towards destiny. Whatever we see in the Spirit will be rooted in Scripture. And he doesn't want the opposite where we could quote the Bible from front to back but not see God move, not see miracles, not see freedom, be bound up in legalism. That's not what he wants for us. He wants true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. Can I take some pressure off you? You're not perfect. Look at your neighbor and said, neither are you. And look at your second choice and say, especially not you. You really ain't holy. I know you. In Romans 10, 4, it says this, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. So you know what makes us righteous? Belief. Not our works, not our effort, not how much scripture we know. Belief. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And last thing, he told them, the truth about their place in the world. Just speaking to her changed her narrative. Just speaking to her changed the narrative. She couldn't. He couldn't change the structural, societal things that were in place to hinder her, to keep her down, to keep other people down. He couldn't change that. But he knew who she was. He gave her dignity. He affirmed her value. He affirmed her personhood by speaking to her, by offering her living water, so that she was not bound by her labels. She was not bound by what people said she was. She was not bound by her past, but she was bound by Christ Jesus who has set us free with her belief. And the last thing he teaches us is that he let her go. He didn't say, all right, I'm going to take you now on this very long journey. 
he just let her go. He sowed a seed that he probably wouldn't see the end of. He sowed a seed. He teaches us to sow seeds. He teaches us to walk alongside other people because we are discipling unto Christ, not unto ourselves. Discipling unto Christ, not unto ourselves. And the beautiful thing is he didn't try to fix everything in that moment for her. He didn't lay hands on her and say, let me pray for you and get rid of all the abandonment and rejection that's in your heart. He spoke a word, offered her an opportunity to believe, and she said yes. And then she started the journey. Friend, why are we so afraid of brokenness? What is it about our life that we want to be perfect and we want to show up with everything put together and want everybody to see us? Everything is awesome. (laughs) Blessed. Too blessed to be stressed. Anybody? For what? For who? There's not one time in scripture that God says, I want you to be perfect. He says, I want you to be whole. We are going to make mistakes. Failure is absolutely a part of this journey. And that's why we let people go. That's why we disciple them unto Christ. Because I don't have it. And you don't have it either. My well will run dry. My grace is not inexhaustible. Ask anyone in my household. Like, get out of here right now or something bad going to happen. Go to your room. (laughs) Get these kids. Somebody come get these kids. (laughs) I do not have the kind of love and the kind of mercy that will never dry up. But God does. His grace is inexhaustible. We can never exhaust him. Your addiction does not exhaust God. Your recovery process does not exhaust God. He's not mad when you get down on your knees one more time and say, God, I did it again. Help me. He's not frustrated because he says, yes, and I have what you need. The blood on the mercy seat will never run dry. Never. The cross is the finished work. Brokenness is good. If you think about your favorite movie, there's conflict, there's tension, there's brokenness. There's horrible things that happen typically, unless you like rom-coms. And then, to be honest, they're just a bunch of dysfunctional relationships, but they're cuter, so we let it all slide. But listen, you don't want to be doing none of that stuff they're doing up in the movies. Not even the Christian ones, most likely. But that's why we love the stories, right? Because there's conflict and tension and pain and weird dynamics, but redemption. It points to redemption. The arc of God's faithfulness is redemption. The moment that you're in is not the defining moment of your life. You are not defined by the worst thing that you have ever done because God loves you. He is for you. He is with you, and he will keep lifting you up. So what we can learn from the Samaritan woman that conversations and questions are okay. Ask. It's okay to ask. Here's some of her questions. Why are you asking me for a drink? Where would you get this living water? Do you think you're greater than our ancestors for real? How can you offer better water? Why is it that the Jews insist that this is the place of worship? She asked questions, hard questions that she didn't have answers to. It's okay to ask. It's okay to be cynical. It's okay to be unsure. Don't stay there. But get, you know, like it's okay. It's okay to have had life knock you down so bad that you're cynical. It's okay. I'd rather have someone who asks questions and somebody's like, do-do-do, all the days of life. You're like, are you real? I can't, I mean, I just can't even get down with that. (laughs) Because my life's not like that. Anyone? Give me a wave. Yes. We got about 25 (laughs) non-liars. 
She shows us that it's okay to have a past. It's okay to be who you are, right? She was a woman, a Samaritan. She was smart. She was curious. She told it like it was first. And she was abandoned, rejected, and outcast last. Because God does not define us by the worst things. He defines us by the identity we have in him, which is the best things. He's so good. And he shows us it's okay to have a future. It's okay. Whatever you've gone through, I promise you, on the other side of this is a good future. And then she shows us to accept the gift of grace. In her desperation, she just said, yes. What? Are you a prophet? This sounds amazing. Give me the living water. I'm going to take it. Matter of fact, I'm going to leave and go tell everybody, and they all come in. So get ready. She just accepted it. She didn't sit there for hours and have to get doctrine on the subject and have to fully understand all the dynamics to know that he was bringing her freedom. She just accepted the gift of grace. She just took it. And then she shared the gift of grace. She went and told her story. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And they came. Because personal story matters. It levels the playing field. When I first meet people, they don't expect me to have the background that I have had. They don't expect that I had seven warrants out for my arrest back in the day. You don't expect that. You don't see that coming. You're like, wow, I didn't expect that. I'm I'm not sure I'm going to stay in this church, actually, now that you mention it. (laughs) That's fine. Let everybody else come. (laughs) Because we are all jacked up for real. And that's okay. One thing I love about the recovery space that I've been in is that we lead with brokenness. We lead with story. Like out the gate, this is who I am. Cool. You don't like it? I'm good with that. Because I'm good with myself. I'm comfortable with my brokenness. And I can be comfortable with other people's. And that's what she shows us. And then she brings people to God. I want to read you this last scripture quickly. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two more days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we know that he's indeed the Savior of the world. Teach them to hear God, not you. It starts with you. But they said, because we heard her story, and then we heard him for ourselves, we believe. The world does not need more of my words. Yes, they need a connective piece like a story. We all need that to feel human, to feel sane, to normalize our insane emotions as human beings. But teach people to hear God. He has the word, not us. He has the final say. And I love prophecy. I'm not saying don't go out and prophesy. I'm not saying don't go out and speak the word of God. I'm saying be humble. Sometimes we get it wrong. We're finite human beings. He is an infinite God who's here to save and love and give. So teach people to hear from God, not you. Okay, last thing. What we learn from the disciples, the third player in the story, who I love and treasure, they just make me feel so normal. John 4, 31 through 38. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Remember, they went to go get food because he was tired and he was hungry. They were aware of his, his physical need. They were looking for a way to serve him. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. And then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. 
I sent you to harvest where you did not plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. How beautiful. For centuries, they had been waiting on Christ. For centuries, they had been waiting on the Messiah, passing down the Torah from generation to generation to generation, passing down the prophecies, Old Testament prophets, minor and major prophets. They were passing down these scrolls, waiting for the Messiah. And he's saying, they already did the work. Time for you to do the harvest. And so a few things we can learn from the disciples. First thing is this, you don't know what you don't know. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? <laughs> They're like clueless to the situation. Make you feel better? When you're like, I, I think God's moving. I don't know what's going on. This is all very strange. You're not alone. The disciples who actually walked with him in the flesh were doing the same thing. You don't know what you don't know. We're always learning. We're always trusting God. We're always becoming aware of how he sees the world. They were becoming aware in this moment of how he sees women. They were becoming aware of these men who had been taught through their religion that a woman like this was someone not to mess with, that you don't speak to her, that you don't acknowledge her. I wonder if we came in here with some of those biases. There's just certain people we don't want to deal with. That guy on the train, not touching it, which is okay for your safety sometimes, let's be honest. <laughs> This type of person, mm, I don't like how they voted. Not touching it. And this type of person, I don't really like how they look. They clearly aren't taking care of themselves. Not touching it. If we're honest, we all have something. And Jesus is always reorienting our life, reorienting our eyes, reorienting our message, our ministry that he gave us around the truth. And the truth is that every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being was created in his image and deserves dignity and freedom. And speak to them. <laughs> We're always learning and growing and trusting Christ. And that's the next thing we learn from the disciples, that transformation is a process. Remember, they had been walking with him. Out of anybody, you would assume that they knew what was going on in the situation, but they did not. So transformation is a process. Change is necessary to growth. If we are not changing, we are dying. You got to change. You got to grow. And it costs something. You want abs at the gym? That's going to cost you something. And not just at the gym, but in the kitchen. Ugh. You want to see yourself healed and whole? You got to get in some recovery. You got to start on a process. You want to see yourself have some friends? You got to put yourself out there. You got to be the kind of friend you'd like to see. You got to start connecting with others and reaching out to them. And not being driven by fear, not being driven by loneliness or abandonment and rejection. We all have to do that hard soul work, and it's not instant. How annoying. I love just, my phone is so great. Let me check all my emails. I don't have to go to the office. And I wish healing was that way. I wish discipleship was that way, but it's not. And it's not neat and tidy. It is messy. And it's not comfortable or familiar. We step out into the unknown. Sometimes we're out there on a limb. And I think some of us this morning need to stop praying for more stuff and start praying for more grace to be in the situations that we're in, to stand in the places that God has put us. More stuff, more resources, more money, more time, more friends, more people is not going to do it. But the grace of God is sufficient for us in every single one of our weaknesses. He is good. He is able. He will help you. His grace is enough. It's necessary. Remember that ark of God's faithfulness points towards redemption. It's going that way. And the last thing they teach us is that spiritual needs are primary. 
to our place in the world. The disciples showed up beautifully to offer him physical needs. They wanted to feed him and make sure he slept. He was weary. He was hungry. And he took the time to teach them. I have food you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to finish his work. That's the thing that brings me contentment when I know I'm about to go to the cross. That is the thing that brings me contentment when I'm tired and weary. That is the thing that gives me joy is to do his work, to finish his work. It's enough. It is enough. Yes, physical needs need to be met, but our spiritual needs matter the most. This life is a vapor. <laughs> Done. And God thought so highly of you that he said, now, at this time in history, in this mess called earth, in this chaos and dysfunction, I have placed you, I have sent you to do my will and to finish the work. Friend, what do you need to finish? What do you need to finish? What is God asking you to do? What is your work? What is the will of God in your life? And sometimes we don't know that. So here's a few ideas. Because sometimes we can't always see a way forward. You know, in Psalm 119, it says that the word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Well, what about that? Because you can only see to like right there. If you got some problems with control like me, that's a problem. I'd like a little longer road, God. <laughs> Just give me a little more light. No, no. It's a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. The Bible says to be grateful in all things. This is the will of the Father. To be grateful in all things. What does all mean? All. And what else does he say? That he gives us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit is placed in your life. You become the temple of God where he dwells. Because like Nikki talked about earlier, he tore that veil on the cross. He said, you no longer have to come to me through a priest or a rabbi or a person. The, the veil is torn. Come straight to me. And I'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. I will make you full of rivers of living water that will flow out of you. And what does the world need? That fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Who would we be if that was our witness? I know the news likes to tell you all kinds of bad things about the church. I know that because I watch it. <laughs> and I don't disagree with a lot of it. But at the same time, God is doing a work and he loves his church because the church is you and the church is me. And when we operate with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, there is something different on our life. When you step into a meeting at work with that inside of you and you see someone who always gets shut down in the meeting and you're the one who redirects, hey, what were you trying to say? Could you repeat that? When you're the one who doesn't laugh at a sexist joke, and tells your coworker that's inappropriate. That's salt and that's light. When everybody else is freaking out about the news and you're the one with hope, it says something. It's a powerful witness. So wherever you are right now, your circumstances might not be able to change, but you can bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit and make a difference in the lives of others. 
You know, Rita Springer, we sing one of her songs here called My Defender. She's like this crazy wild woman. If you've ever seen her worship, she'll just like lay prostrate on the floor. That just means get down on your whole tummy and just lay there waiting for God to speak. That's what that means. <laughs> I, I just realized like when I first came to church, I'd be like prostrate. Which, is that like an exam? What is that? <laughs> I'm so sorry. If you're new, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but she has this other song called All I Need. And she says, all I need to do is worship. All I need to do is bow down. All I need to do is say his name out loud. All I need to do is worship. Worship the Lord. And then she says, when there's no way out except for a miracle, all I need to do is worship. There is such power in getting in the presence of God, in allowing the Lord to shift your mind, to shift your heart. You might not see a change in your circumstances, but you will see a change in yourself. You will see faith rise up and hope rise up and love rise up. And no matter what you are going through, he's with you. He's for you. You are not alone. And what will satisfy you is his presence, to know his will, to finish his work. He's so good. I think about Martin Luther King. The last time he preached, and he talked about, my eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. <laughs> and he talks about how I'm not concerned with all the things. I just want to do God's will. And he drops the mic because he's Martin Luther King. Yeah. It's powerful. But what if we get to that place where it's like, God, I don't have a plan B. I don't know if anything's going to work out. God, I'm not even sure at this moment you're going to heal me. But I will do your will. And it will become primary in my life. My comfort will not be primary. My security will not be primary. Me feeling good all the time will not be primary because it's not even biblical. Help me to do your will. To finish your work. Romans 5, 3 through 5, I want to read you two scriptures, and then I'm going to pray for you. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given unto us. Come on, worship team, come on up. In James 1, verses 2 through 8. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let's just stop right there because that means there'll be testing. Who is annoyed by that? I don't want any testing. I just want it to work well all the time. Anyone? But it's the testing of your faith that produces patience. So let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete. Here the Greek word perfect translates to whole full of integrity. It's not talking about perfect, hitting every mark. It's talking about wholeness, wholeness, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You need wisdom, God has it for you. You need grace, God has more and more grace. You need mercy for something that you've done. Friend, I tell you, as someone who has done the most, that God has mercy so rich, it won't make any sense to you when you feel it, when you receive what God has for you. It will wash away your past. It will wash you clean. It will make you new. So let's bow our heads because I want to pray for you.
Jesus, we love you. We have come before you, Lord, to pour ourselves out this morning like a drink offering unto you, Lord. And I pray that the fragrance rises to heaven and is sweet unto you. God, I ask you to have your way. Your people need you, God. They have real needs. They have real struggles, God. They have real pain they're dealing with. And I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would minister to your people. Let every drought, God, be filled with rivers of living water. Give your people peace in the waiting, God, because all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you give people supernatural courage to wait, grace to wait. And for those who are looking to overcome heartbreak and disappointment and addictions and failures, God, would you meet them there now? You know how to make us new. You know how to wash us clean. You know how to transform our lives, God. And one moment with you can change the game.